Welcome to the Climate Pelicans Brief, a podcast bridging the gap between climate science and Louisiana frontline communities. I'm Corinne Salter. And I'm Jill Tapitza. Join us as we disentangle environmental justice issues facing Louisiana using peer-reviewed science as well as the voices and lived experiences of community leaders. Our goals are to uplift activist platforms and raise awareness about the many environmental puzzles in Louisiana. While contextualizing everything through the lens of climate crisis mitigation. degrees Celsius. It's a number that's been thrown around in the media about climate science and policy recently. You may recognize it as the number that may be the threshold between long-term planetary survival and disaster, or you may not even recognize it at all. In this episode, you can expect a quick lesson around why 1.5 is so important as we fight against climate change and why it's the number to build our environmental plans around. So let's start with some background on it but trap heat close to the planet instead of letting it escape into outer space. In a nutshell, light from the sun hits the earth and bounces off the land and water as infrared heat. That's the same phenomenon you feel as you walk down the street on a hot day, feeling the heat rise up off the pavement. If you think about that feeling now, you might also observe that when we get these lovely humid days in Louisiana, um, it feels much hotter than the approximately four days per year where the humidity is quite low. This is the greenhouse effect at work. Water vapor in the atmosphere traps infrared heat coming off the ground and lets it linger, keeping the air nice and toasty. But water vapor isn't the only gas in the atmosphere that does this. We have many others, such as CO2, methane, nitrous oxides, and more. But for today, we're going to focus on the one that constitutes most of the problems in terms of climate change, carbon dioxide. CO2 occurs naturally. Plants use it to build their tissues, and we exhale it with every breath. But when it's present in low amounts in the atmosphere, it's just another part of nature. But since the Industrial Revolution in the late 1800s, it's been on the rise. It's gone from around 280 parts per thousand to 420 parts per thousand today. When we burn coal, oil, gas, and other fossil fuels, it releases CO2 into the atmosphere, filling up our atmosphere with Um, a gas that will trap heat. It's like turning on a car in a garage with the door shut. It's just a really big garage. So is that safe? Is it natural? Absolutely not. But what's the big deal? The big deal is that CO2 is very effective at trapping heat in the atmosphere. Itself, just by itself, it's not that big of a problem. But over time, it has led to a global temperature increase, and that's where the big problem begins. That temperature increase is responsible for most of the detrimental impacts of climate change we know well. Sea level rise, drought, increased severity and frequency of storms. Okay, so where are we now in terms of temperature increase, and what does 1.5 mean? According to the most recent IPCC report released in 2022, we are currently at 1.07 degrees Celsius above pre-industrial temperature averages. So we have only 0.43 Celsius more wiggle room before we hit that 1.5 degrees Celsius mark. Yeah, and I don't really know how many wiggles I can get out of less than half a degree Celsius. (laughs) 
The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, was started by the United Nations in 1988 as a body of experts who assess the current state of climate science and what it means for the world. Every few years, they put out an updated report based on a huge amount of scientific evidence that is used by policymakers and others to help us, as a society, avoid the worst impacts of climate change. They're the ones who recommend staying under 1.5 degrees Celsius, and even then, that doesn't necessarily keep us safe. If I believe anyone about this, it's the IPCC. They're like the heavy lifters of the climate science, like Olympic-level scientists, things to aspire to. At the end of the day, climate change is a math problem. To reduce rising temperatures, we need to reduce our CO2 levels. And because of the IPCC, we can attach numbers to these actions so we can track our progress or our shortcomings. Unfortunately, there's only one major way we can solve this math problem. Stop burning fossil fuels in the first place. Stop adding to the carbon dioxide in the first place. As they say, if you find yourself in a hole, the first thing you should do is stop digging. We haven't quite stopped digging yet, have we? Not at all. (laughs) Not even a little bit, especially not in Louisiana. Um, So what happens if we hit that 1.5 degrees Celsius tipping point? So we can break that down into two categories. One, the irreversible physical change to the planet. And two, the impacts of climate change that come as a result of rising temperatures. So when we hit that 1.5 degrees Celsius, not only do we have to contend with the anthropogenic CO2, the Earth will start releasing CO2 in a number of different and very much unpredictable ways. Um, Firstly, permafrost or permanently frozen ground. So think Siberia, northern Canada, these areas. That permanently frozen land will thaw and release more CO2 than we've burned in 100 years. Um, And right now, a ton of global carbon stores are stored in that permafrost. They're frozen, they're locked away, they're sequestered. Um, Nothing's going to get to them until they start to thaw. Um, According to NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, global permafrost contains 51 times more carbon um, than was burned in 2019 um, from fossil fuel emissions. So if that store gets unlocked, the temperature increase that comes with it will snowball very quickly or reverse snowball, if you will. Things will get a lot hotter. Um, So another change that will happen around 1.5 degrees is that the ocean will start to release CO2 into the atmosphere. The global ocean contains 60 times more carbon than was in the pre-industrial atmosphere. So if you'll remember earlier on, we said that that was 280 parts per thousand. So imagine 60 times more than that. That's way past where we're at right now. As the atmospheric temperature warms, the oceans also warm, and gases are less soluble at higher temperatures. Um, A huge amount of CO2 will get released, and we'll have no way to absorb it. So let's also go on record saying that these things are already well underway. The permafrost is thawing, and the oceans are releasing their CO2 into the atmosphere. But once we hit 1.5 degrees Celsius, there's really no way to stop it. Yeah, so to use the IPC's language... It's unequivocal that these changes are happening and that they are human cause. We know that with a high degree of certainty what is happening, but there is a lot of deliberation about how we are going to really deal with this. Almost half the world's population lives in an area that is highly vulnerable to climate change. And in Louisiana, 
all of us are part of that vulnerable population. We are the ground zero for climate change impacts. Yeah, and thinking about Louisiana, it's really an epicenter for environmental justice. Um, and it's where a lot of our most vulnerable populations are. Louisiana has a history of racial violence, not just slavery, but also the Jim Crow era and Reconstruction, mass incarceration, and the prison industrial complex. A lot of our systems in our state are oppressing uh, Black, Indigenous people of color. And environmental injustice has become a more contemporary structure of racial violence in which Black, Brown, and low-income communities and their hometowns are the targets for industrial siting. And with this industrial inundation, there are a myriad of environmental toxicants and pollutants that inhibit a healthy way of life for these communities and their families, including adverse health consequences, which can present as adverse pregnancy outcomes, liver function and renal disease abnormalities, excess bladder, lung, and stomach cancer, and leukemia cancer, and symptoms such as headaches, sleepiness, respiratory symptoms, uh, psychological conditions, and gastrointestinal problems. These communities deal with that all while having to combat the exacerbated natural, natural disasters that, yes, Louisiana has always dealt with, but they're getting worse and worse every year um, due to climate change. And globally, we can expect heat waves, drought, increased precipitation, increased tropical storms, and a sea level rise that creeps up to about two millimeters per year. But every individual place will differ from another in terms of impacts. According to a study from Harvard, one in five premature deaths worldwide are attributed to pollution from the fossil fuel industry. That's a crazy stat. Yeah, very telling. Mm-hmm. Um, but not hard to believe. No, unfortunately. <laughs> so what makes Louisiana such a unique place in terms of uh, climate change? Louisiana, if you've never been here, or if you live here, you'll know, is a low-lying area. The grade on our land from the sea is extremely small. It's incredibly flat. For example, I would be able to see the Capitol building from my house if there were not trees and other structures in the way. So you can imagine that for every vertical millimeter of sea level rise, where the water creeps up, it creeps inland much further. The exact ratio is about 10,000 to one, which is huge. So like for every one millimeter, 10,000 millimeters go in inland. Um, moreover, we actually experience higher rates of sea level rise in this state than the global average of two millimeters per year. On average in this state, it's about 10 times higher than the global rate. Um, in the Mississippi Birdfoots Delta, it's about 35 millimeters per year. So that's kind of crazy. And most everywhere else around the Louisiana coastline, it hovers around 15 millimeters per year. And that's one of the major reasons why we are losing our fabulous wetlands and all the cities and towns that, um, pepper that area. Yeah. And on top of that, we also get seasonal hurricanes, something that we're all familiar with at this point. If you live in Louisiana or have even heard about Louisiana, you hear about the hurricanes that we get every year. Um, But those who have been there a long time probably notice that the hurricanes are spaced more closely together and are getting progressively more intense. So, Corey, have you noticed hurricanes getting closer together, more intense over your lifetime since you're a resident here? Yeah, definitely. So whenever I was younger, we would maybe have like a buffer period of like about five years. Um, And now we're getting them sometimes like within like the time that I've been at LSU, 
within these like three years, um, there was a period where we were just what felt like we were getting them every year. And we are getting them every year, maybe not necessarily just Baton Rouge, but um, places like Lake Charles, um, obviously New Orleans, they're getting them as well. And it's just honestly, it's like whenever I think about the hurricane season, um, it's gotten so bad to the point that my family who has historically stayed stayed put in baton rouge we all hold down the ford is what we call it and we even throw these little like hurricane parties which you know it's really not a party it's just us all uh calling it a party so that we don't feel so bad about us sleeping in the living room together and like huddling around one light that's powered by a generator (laughs) dealing with your anxiety in a productive way (laughs) exactly like it's mostly just like for the kids to make them feel like it's just like a fun little sleepover that we're all having together but really we're like not sure when the power is going to come back and you know the cell phone cell phone service is down and you know we're just all trying to like hunker down and like make the most out of it but it's honestly really scary and um yeah it's gotten to the point where even my even my moms my parents they've always stayed put in baton rouge whenever they were going through a hurricane but now we're talking about possibly even um not being in baton rouge like even relocating during the hurricane season because of how bad they've really gotten and that's oftentimes like in the past in the most even in the most recent past that's really only been something that we consider non-locals to do non-residents people who are not from louisiana like um usually whenever i have somebody that i know like from grad school that isn't from louisiana but is just here doing their grad school program i'll tell them you should definitely leave like you're not you're not prepared for this it gets very intense and it's something that only people that are that have dealt with it their entire lives really know how to cope with because it's very stressful it feels almost like the apocalypse has hit and that it's it feels very very scary like you're almost in a ghost town but also it like brings together the community in a way that only something as traumatic and terrible like a shared trauma like that really could but like I said, they're getting so so much more intense and so much more um, daunting to take on that it's like, I don't know, even people that are from here that have always stayed put during these things, they're starting to say, no, I don't know if I really can this year because it's just so overwhelming and um, it's feeling like there's less and less we can do about it and less and less we can do to cope with it, really. Thank you for sharing that. It feels like there's this like culture of shared experience around that trauma of having these hurricanes happening, but the big picture being that there's going to be a tipping point in the pretty near future for what people can handle, even though we know that Louisiana communities are resilient and band together and that there's a culture of sticking together if you're from here. Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, places like, I mean, organizations like the Cajun Navy wouldn't even be a thing if it weren't for, you know, the 2016 floods that we went through and like, you know, all the the lack of response from, you know, federal government to that. And, you know, just all the things that we deal with, like it does create a sense of community, but it's also like, you know, there are things that we can do in terms of the climate change movement, um, responding to it that could make it maybe not such a shared trauma. Like maybe we don't have to all go through trauma to become a community and like to band together, but, um, yeah. There are other ways. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) There are. (laughs) Um, 
Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. It definitely like brings a little bit more color to the the problem that we face and like we're dealing with this as a globe, but we're also dealing with this as a state. So yeah, of course, sharing that. Um, so to wrap up this episode, we've learned that increasing CO2 levels from the bursting of burning of fossil fuels have led to a global rise in atmospheric temperature since the industrial revolution. We've learned that the 1.5 degrees Celsius um, number is the threshold identified by the IPCC as the increase in global temperature that we cannot exceed. We also learned that Louisiana has natural characteristics such as low grade, um, that make it more susceptible to climate change impacts such as rising sea levels. Louisiana also has a lot of vulnerable populations of people that make it an epicenter not only for climate change impacts, but also climate justice, since these populations often contribute the least to climate change. Okay, so that was a lot of heavy. Science and emotions about our planet and our humans all running high right now. So are we completely screwed? Yes and no. Yes, we have a crisis of an unimaginable scale before us. Yes, it's something that has been ignored or even mocked since Eunice Newton Foote discovered the relationship between carbon dioxide and temperature in the 1890s. But over the course of this podcast, we'll get into all sorts of plans that are designed to help us sidestep this landmine. We have so much to cover and there's so much more to the story of climate change. More importantly, the end isn't written yet. The odds are really stacked against us. We are not going to lie to you about that. But this planet is our home, and it's something worth fighting for. Well put. Thank um, you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. So that wraps up this episode. We're gonna we're gonna end with our favorite piece, um, our cause to action or our cause to action um so we're keeping it simple this week please sign up for our newsletter we plan to release one every month you can sign up by emailing climatepelicans at gmail.com and you can also always follow our socials follow us on instagram or twitter or both both is always encouraged um at climate pelicans thank you so much for joining us today for this episode we hope you learned something Thank you.